0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Creative Health Podcast. I was invited by London Arts and Health to capture the ideas and opinions of attendees at the London Creative Health City Building It Together event back in November. The event convened a multitude of organisations, practitioners, artists, creative health workers, social prescribers and allied health professionals to imagine London as a creative health capital city, asking why, what if and how. The event was an initiative developed and funded by the Mayor of London and Arts Council England, delivered in partnership with London Arts and Health. I wanted to understand... Why is it important to have a creative health city? What could a creative health city look like for the wide range of creative community and health practitioners in London? What difference will it make? Is there consensus? What needs to happen to make it a reality? And is it even realistic? The day consisted of presentations and speeches, a series of open space conversations, creative activities, and lots of networking. You're going to hear a series of exchanges I had with a range of people working in creative health to capture the breadth of work happening and to gauge their views on the idea of London as a creative health city. And to be honest, I could have done an in-depth interview with everyone in the room. I'm here at Battersea Arts Centre today for the London Creative Health City event Bassey Arts Centre is a former town hall built in 1893, which opened its doors almost 130 years ago to the day. And it's hosted many radical and creative performances, speeches, and ideas. And it's the world's first relaxed venue, putting access and inclusivity at the top of the agenda. So where better to host London's first Creative Health City event where creatives, health and voluntary sector professionals have come together to share ideas, thoughts, challenges and opportunities for how London can be declared a creative health city. The atmosphere is really buzzing and I'm really looking forward to capturing a range of viewpoints from all sorts of people.
1: This event has been... Many weeks,
0: months in project planning. Here's Anna Wolfe, CEO of London Arts and Health. Anna mentions the GLA, which is the Greater London Authority.
1: And it really is the culmination of three policy events that the GLA have been leading on, alongside kind of Arts Council England and ourselves as one of the delivery partners. So it feels like a really exciting and engaging of all of this thinking and planning and really questioning and asking the sector what is a creative health city we absolutely don't want to decide policymakers don't want to decide this is completely co-produced policy happening in the room today and that's what makes it feel so alive and so exciting and also allows space to tackle like really difficult and uncomfortable things we know that the sector isn't perfect we know that there's lots of change that needs to happen but hopefully we're bringing our colleagues into those decisions and and along you know intangibly making those changes so it feels really
0: exciting. And what do you think that a declaration of a creative health city will do for Londoners working in this sector? The usefulness of it
1: is to make manifest the sector to generate policy engagement and interest in funding the sector supporting our health and our arts colleagues because often people talk a lot about culture being in service to health or improving health but culture is also great in its own right and I think this gives space to really recognizing the strengths of both those sectors coming together but I think for me the best outcome is to continue arguing and pioneering for the legitimacy of this work the funding of this work and really the support of many of the practitioners that my organization supports you know they are not paid very well they work really long hours they are not given mental health support they're working with some of the most vulnerable londoners going and they need help and care and we can sort of help with that so we really hope that this program and this policy making aids in that and that things improve and continue to grow
0: and expand. It was an incredible opportunity to be in a room with so many talented individuals representing many art forms, many communities and many health issues.
2: My name is Jide Ashimi. I'm co-chair with Raw Material Music and Media and I do lead facilitation with the Artists Represent Recovery Network and I also work for um, Lambeth Early Onset which is part of South London and Moore's NHS Foundation Trust.
3: My name is Sade Joseph. I'm a director at Writers on Scribes and Writers and Scribes is a creative arts organisation that works in vulnerable communities and also just general developing art programmes and for the public. And artists as well.
2: My work with SLAM started off delivering vocational intervention with an early psychosis team. So it's a community based team for working with young people initially who were experiencing their first episode of psychosis. And so it was building provision around them because they were more likely, there was 100% more likely to be unemployed or not involved in any form of activity. So this was a research funded post. And it was looking at how can we engage people in their recovery and open up different opportunities for them. And so employment was one of them, training, education, but social inclusion became sort of like a really big part. And under the social inclusion, you know, creative arts and health was really focal in their recovery journey. So people could do things that were interesting to them and that they were interested in. And so that's really key to the work that I do. So
3: Writers and Scribes was started in 2014 and our founder, Jamelia Wisdom Barco, she used to work with young people that were in youth offending groups, and in order to get through to them and to kind of relate to them, she used music and rapping poetry to get them get them to speak about their experiences because they often experienced being asked questions from a very kind of i guess being subjected to the crime that they were committing and so instead of talking to them, she got them to do arts in order to kind of relate. And then from there, she said to me when I joined, which was in 20 late 2014, 2015 times, that she wanted to work in women's shelters and homeless shelters. So we did some poetry sessions there, just me and her, really. Did poetry workshops with refugees as well. And so that's how we began, and then from there we've worked with different types
2: of communities. So it's working in partnership with external organisations, who have arts-based provision, whether that's filmmaking and employment, or whether that's music and media through raw material, or whatever medium it is. And even to with colleges and universities, you know, that have arts-based courses. So it's supporting and working with people so that we can get the best sustainable pathway for the young people that are experiencing their first episode of psychosis and supporting them with their recovery.
3: Art should be accessible for everybody. I think because we're also artists ourselves, we're poets, musicians, photographers, filmmakers, we know that there's a pre-notion of art being only for a certain type of people and that a lot of people who are not inside the arts think that they can't be involved because they have ideas of oh I can't do this so I don't want to and so our job is to make art accessible for everybody and we've realized over the years how substantial and how imperative our workshops have been for people's lives their mental health and their growth and also yeah just their general growth in life as well and whether it's people that we've worked with in homeless shelters who are alcoholics that said to us come to this workshop and it really helps us not want to do drugs or to drink Uh, for people that have had severe mental health issues the same thing people said to us they would rather come to our workshops than to go therapy i think what art does is that it at its core it creates empathy and therefore people are allowed to come in as they are and change at their own pace so that's why we think it's important to do art
0: What do you think about this idea of a creative health city and do you think that it's going to help you and the organisations you work with in the work you do?
3: I think it's a good idea. We are very aware that our work is important in regards to helping people with their health. But I think having the language, having the access is so important for us. Also just important for us to be even more creative and focused on how we want to shape the work that we do to actually help people. So it's not just, oh, we're doing this workshop and people could come in and then it helps, but also trying to significantly highlight what we do and how it does help. So I think having the access is really important.
2: I think it's vital, it's visionary really because the creative sector is so important to people's expressions so important to their well-being so important to their identity and so the networks that are being built up and the investment and the resource that is now coming together in a way that's more concerted and there's a vision and a direction that it's following and so Days like this and people coming together like this that this reinvigorates, it inspires, it creates passion and it helps people remember that you're not alone in doing this and so if we can build more sustainability and also challenge some of the problems around sort of within the creative arts sector as well because one of my passions is equity and diversity and inclusion and specifically around anti-racism and so combating that and so that there's more representation in the sector is also important because racism is a sort of it's a health crisis and so really being able to tackle that and having these open and honest conversations and making sure that it remains on the agenda is really important so there's that intersectionality that comes into play
4: my name is Lydia Rose I'm a multidisciplinary artist specialising in creative health and community engagement and I'm a lived experience social entrepreneur focusing on cooperative solutions. I used to work in corporate ethics and sustainability in the fashion industry. Then during the pandemic I got made redundant and then I started volunteering at a food bank. I was also experiencing a lot of financial insecurity myself and mental health and I had my own creative practice at the time as well so I started Seeing the people around me, talking to them, understanding we were going through the same thing and how important the arts were for bringing people together, supporting their mental health and well-being and enabling us to have a voice so we could make some changes.
5: My name is Marley Starsky-Butler and I'm a multidisciplinary artist and with a concurrent practice as a social worker. I'm here with an organisation called Newtown Culture based in Barking and Dagenham. I do explore familial lived experience of social work and social work practice, the use of arts for mental health and making meaning of one's life and for people to be able to engage with it and reflect upon their own life.
4: So then I set up the organization. So it's called Ali's Art Club. We are based in Islington in London. And yeah, we exist to provide safe and inclusive spaces for people to connect, express themselves and improve their mental health and well-being through the arts. We started just over two years ago and we've had lots of different events. We've had art shows, fairs, markets, free monthly art socials and we published a zine. And we also raised funds and donated art supplies to the people using the food bank. Yeah, it's been great fun.
5: Also within my freelance artwork, I work with organisations such as Newtown Culture and the hospital rooms, which more explicitly within their work link arts and cultural practices with social care services, both adults and children. So with Newtown Culture, they work to see embedding arts and creativity within the systems of social care so we've undertaken workshops with foster carers themselves and also strategic leaders within local authorities as well. So at various different levels talking about how you can be reflective in your practice and how arts and culture can work within it for better outcomes.
4: We recently incorporated as a cooperative so a community benefit society so that means that we're basically made by the people for the people, and that really empowers people to get involved in creating the services that they need for themselves rather than kind of someone from the outside who doesn't have any experience of the issues. It's way more effective and productive for people to create the solutions for themselves.
0: What does this idea
4: of a creative health city mean to you as a freelancer? An urban environment that fosters health and well-being through creativity, imagination, collaboration. I think creativity to me is very multidisciplinary. It's thinking outside of the box and understanding that everything is interconnected. So health and creativity don't have to be completely separate things. They both nurture each other.
5: It creates a framework so everybody knows they're trying to go in the same direction. And I have a deep sense and belief in the just the possibilities about the arts within social care practices really thinking about how it can be embedded within policy and things like this because those are those really important and to a way of like trying to like stop the feedback loop of here's a bit of funding and then the funding will go away and trying to scrape for funding having it be like a real big focus for local authorities specifically I guess and it will massively help my practice and to form more kind of community with others who are doing similar things. As artists, I think you can definitely become quite isolated and siloed within your practice. And it's good to kind of share practice and work together with others.
4: I think it's fantastic. It just gives it the validation and recognition that it needs so that people like me who are doing this work are also recognised for the important impacts that we're having on communities and will help a lot with things like funding because it's really important that we are able to survive ourselves. I don't come from a privileged background, so I definitely do need to be paid for the work that I do. So it's really great that this new the Creative Health City will allow that to happen.
5: I think it's good, when I was like reading through it and things I've heard today, how much like shared understanding was mentioned. And I always like to think of a revolution or like a a wider practice in terms of being like a patchwork quilt so there's lots of different people and organizations and individuals like concentrating on their small square within that patchwork quilt and a day like today and also just this in general it's about bringing that together everybody like comparing their little squares do you know what i mean so comparing it seeing how it's stitched Having a shared understanding about their practices, reflecting on each other's practices, and connecting together. And I think that's really, really important because we're all, we all kind of want the same things.
0: You can hear that a number of themes are starting to emerge around collaboration, lived experience, shared language, shared vision, funding. Here's someone else who understands the value of creative health, but also some of the challenges. My name's Ma Rana and
6: I teach at the Royal College of Art and I'm part of a health and care research cluster there, but I'm also finishing off a PhD at Birkbeck College and that's in the social sciences department. I guess I came to creative health from a lived experience perspective. So I was a care of my mother and she had Alzheimer's so I was a dementia carer and very much for the first year it was focused on the sort of practical everyday activities of dementia care that is typical of for, for most carers but then I realized actually maybe there's something else I could bring into it to kind of help my mother reconnect with things that she liked doing but also for me to think about using creativity to kind of help me as a carer for her, because it is very emotionally difficult as well as challenging, you know, for both people in the dementia care dyad. So I knew my mother was really good at embroidery, so we started embroidering together, so that was very much embedded in the dementia care that I gave her, I guess, was being creative together.
0: And what was the impact that you saw on your mother in doing that together? The most significant thing at the beginning
6: was that I had an idea that we would do a particular crafting project. And what was really nice is that she kind of disrupted the whole idea and started teaching me a new embroidery technique, hemstitching, that I'd, I'd not heard of. So what happened was that she started teaching me this new technique and she became the person who was the teacher, and I was learning from her. So it really shifted the dynamics of me being the carer and her being a person with dementia to us being two women on the sofa crafting together, and she was teaching me a technique. So that was a driver for me doing a PhD at Birkbeck, and it's a qualitative research study using an interpretive thermological analysis and video I've been asking daughters and mothers to craft together to do something, a technique that they have learned, perhaps when they're much younger. So I visit them in their home and I video them crafting together. And then I interview the daughter afterwards and ask them about their experience of crafting with their mother. And what's been really interesting is that when they see the video footage, they get to see all the sort of small details and the sort of the expertise in their mother as they kind of they knit or they sew or they're doing cross-stitching that they hadn't really seen before because perhaps when you're a dementia carer you have a, a sort of a focus of the practical things that you need to do around dementia care but also there's this sort of narrative around dementia particularly a biomedical narrative around dementia which is about memory loss and cognitive impairment so A lot of people often assume that if you have a dementia diagnosis, the skills that you had before, you just don't have them anymore.
0: And what do you think about this idea of a creative health city and how do you think that it might help you or people like you in your work?
6: I guess it's a goal and an aspiration, so it's something to work towards. I imagine it's something that is not... You know, like once it's built, then that's it. It's kind of fixed. It's something that needs to be dynamic and it changes as people get older and people come into the world. So it's an evolving city that responds to people's needs and health needs, not in a creative way, but through creativity. And I think creativity, in a way, is almost the momentum to help people to thrive well in a city it's doing things practically but it's also an approach to helping people as much as you can to thrive well in an urban landscape
0: and what do you think needs to happen in order that all of that can be put into practice on a practical level
6: there needs to be buy-in from everyone or well, from government or for people who make the key decisions and say, yes, this will happen. There needs to be a buy-in and a commitment that's long-term rather than just short-term. There needs to be an element that people allow to take calculated risks. So if things don't always go as they are expected to, that there is a space to kind of learn and adapt and build from it. So there needs to be, I think, some fluidity in thinking. So it's not kind of fixed thinking and it's not short-term thinking, but it's about people buying in because they want to and they're
0: committed to it. Here's some views from health and the medical profession.
7: My name is Dr Paul Gulully and I'm Chief Medical Officer at NHS North East London, which is one of our new integrated care systems. Sir, I've got responsibility in my portfolio for the professional leadership of doctors in the North East London area. But I also have the clinical and care professional leadership framework under my responsibility. I also work with the executive board at developing a strategy for North East London and how we provide that health and care strategy right across the whole of the ICS.
0: And so... What do you think about this idea of a creative health city?
7: I think it's really exciting. Developing a creative health city is really important if we have to improve the health of our local residents in London. Because I think we have to move as a health service away from an ill health service, which we have at the moment, where we respond to people when they're in ill health, and instead invest in people and invest in their wellbeing and resilience so that we build a healthier city for our local residents.
8: My name is Laura Goffrey isaacs I'm a community midwife, but I also have a background as an artist and creative producer and writer, and I work for a hospital trust in London. The main project that I run at the moment connected to creative health is something called Maternal Journal. So it's a circle-type format where we bring pregnant women, new mothers, people who've birthed together. We do a journaling activity together and then we share the work that we've done. And so those groups provide kind of psychosocial support and also encourage people's creativity and to develop a long-term practice of journaling. So that's the main way that I combine the sort of interest I have in mental health, perinatal mental health for mothers, particularly, and my background in the arts and my work as a midwife.
7: I even think of myself and how it's important for me. From the last 20 years, I've been involved in English National Opera and go along to the opera regularly. And for me, that's a time for me to kind of calm to chill to think of something different away from work I've also taken my trainees along when I've had psychiatric trainees I take them to the opera and then we have said psychological discussion afterwards and that involves in their training and how they are thinking as well so I think there's lots and lots of different ways we can develop the arts to build the resilience in our local community.
8: Journaling is a really convenient practice so it doesn't require lots of time doesn't require Um, Expensive materials. It can be done on your phone. You can journal on your phone using your voice notes, even, or your writing. Functions. We generally present people with an actual book format so they can journal regularly. We have lots and lots of guides which have been created by artists, writers, poets, etc. So we introduce them to the practice of journaling through these guides to build confidence and creativity. And it's a way for them to process experiences, to explore Their creativity, to have a space in which to express how they're feeling. Within the groups, it's very much a safe space, so lots of discussions are generated from the journaling activity where people can explore perhaps some of the more negative aspects of being a mum in this society, some of the taboo subjects that maybe they don't feel they can discuss, maybe in a mother and baby group or that kind of space that's created often for new mothers. So it's very much focused on the mothers and their experiences and it's just proved a very successful format and people really value creating community with other mothers and people that have birthed and also having that space to explore their creativity and process their experiences
7: I think for me the important thing is to keep banging the drum Um, the evidence is already there we know that if we invest in creative health that we get back in the future a healthier community that costs less than an ill health community. So actually, all the stuff's said already. We have to actually bang the drum louder and louder so that the actual health comes up to the platform and starts taking some responsibility for that funding and that investment.
8: It's a great idea, Creative Health City. I think that the two sectors need to come together more. I think there are often there are barriers within healthcare... A lot of people within healthcare maybe don't understand how the arts can support mental health, and so they don't understand or the language is different. And then I think a lot of artists perhaps also don't have enough of an understanding about how healthcare systems work and the sort of pressures for healthcare workers. And I think that there needs to be a better mechanism to bring those two things together, because obviously creativity has huge benefit for people's mental health and well-being, And people do engage a lot with creative activities anyway, but don't always recognise the positive aspects of their health. And I think equally within healthcare, people don't recognise those benefits either. They see it as some kind of extra activity. If the two things can be brought together, I think it could create so much benefit, not only for people who are struggling with their mental health, but also for practitioners, artists themselves... So I think if we could bring these sectors together and really champion their connection and their kind of mutual benefit, it's a wonderful concept. And there's so much culture in London and there's so many world-class hospitals and world-class research going on in healthcare in London. So I think it would be amazing if that could all come together.
0: How do you think London being a creative health city might help you in your own practice?
8: I think there's a lot of potential for maternal journal particularly that the project that I run it's already a global movement we've got groups running all over the world in America Australia Malaysia Europe obviously the UK so I think if it could be supported more to you know happen more in London that would be amazing often our groups are outside London because one of the sort of barriers I guess is affordability of space so you need an appropriate space to run a group. We do have groups online as well, but a lot of spaces that are face-to-face, you need a secure space, and there's such a difficulty with getting free space in London. So I think more support for Maternal Journal within perhaps hospital spaces or cultural
9: centres would be amazing. My name's Joanna Latimer,
0: and I'm Chair of London Arts and
2: Health. Tarek Battersea Art Centre.
0: What does this idea of a Creative Health City mean to you?
2: It means taking the incredible resources we have in this city, both in health and also in the arts and culture, and bringing those together in a common purpose to improve the lives and health and well-being of the people who live here.
9: I think participation in the arts and creative activities and doing things together in communities creatively helps create connection and moves and transforms people and hopefully helps society heal, not just individuals. Individuals as well, but societies as well.
2: I think what we all need is a vision, an inspiration, something to rally together and get behind, which means that we can all work together to that common purpose. And I think just putting that flag in the sand is a really important first stepping stone.
9: I'm a Londoner, I grew up in London. I've experienced the vast inequalities in London and how they've grown even in times of unbelievable prosperity and wealth and the divisions have grown and that the divisions are something we need to try and heal and I think one of the ways we can do it is by having creative ways of working together with people and helping people access things and have access and giving them their cultural understandings and takes on things, giving that voice and access. So I believe it's a kind of way of connecting.
0: What do you think needs to happen? Apart from a declaration at policy level, I guess, what else needs to happen? I think thinking about sustainability, ways of
9: sustaining these little pockets of work and organising and community so that they have money over time so that we have a more sustainable approach to funding rather than little pockets here and then it stops and then it starts and looking after our practitioners and our artists because they're the people that can help make it happen and our community workers.
0: It's evident that there's a really great depth of understanding about what needs to happen and why it's important. Combining resources, sustainable funding, greater access... Here's the view from another grassroots organisation.
10: I'm Lewis Pickles and I'm from the road zine.
11: I'm Elise Harbord and I'm from the road zine.
10: So we are here running lots of little kind of creative activities all about using zine making for creative well-being and the hope is that by the end of it we'll have some materials documenting people's day and then our designer is going to go away and create a bespoke zine to document everyone's thoughts, feelings and reflections.
11: We find that zine making helps people's well-being as it is a creative act in of itself. A lot of what we do is we have this idea of different themes, of how people can reflect on how they feel about it. And it's very much, especially the work we do, is about community bringing them together and like small artists or like start-of-career artists and bringing them together and experimenting with different formats. It's not about it being good, it's about... Just doing it and having that expressive freedom to understand how you feel and find any threads of like pattern and come like things together that makes it come together into something more tangible and you can see it and you can feel it and you can understand where those moments of
0: clarity have come from. And what does this idea of a creative health city mean
3: to you?
10: For me, I think it's about there being equal access and spaces for people to engage creatively I believe that we are all innately creative people but through various systems and policies it's kind of sucked out of us and we're not given a chance to be creative and play Um, so for me a creative health city is somewhere where playing and engaging in culture and engaging and tapping into your inherent creativity is just part of Your daily practice um, and part of your daily life, and everybody has access to do that.
0: And what would this declaration of Creative Health City do for your organization and how you work? Do you think?
11: I think it would make a huge difference in the work we do here at the road because we would have the knowledge that a lot of what London is doing is backing this idea of creative health. There'll be resources and evidence to prove that the work we're doing, the workshops we're bringing to these people can help so many people and it can help in every aspect in what they're doing. It's not just one part of health, it's a different part of health. It's mental health, it's physical health, it's all of the above and it's having that kind of promise and backing that people want to do this it isn't just a few voices trying to shout it's kind of a collective of people all shouting together to say this can be good for many many people
0: everybody has creativity And the importance of creativity as part of our everyday lives is acknowledged, but greater access is needed. A declaration and the backing at policy level would give it gravitas, along with a greater bank of evidence and resources.
12: My name is Luan Dile. So I'm currently doing a master's in creative arts and mental health at Queen Mary University of London. It's a performance based course, largely theoretical, but basically we have a module called Performing Mental Health and we look at how theatre, performance, film perceives mental health and how that space drives mental health related conversations and then we also have a module called Critical Mental Health Sciences where we basically critique the mental health care system. What are we doing right, what is going wrong and how can we do better? and then next semester we're having a critical encounters to see how the arts can help us do better in the space of mental health.
0: So what is your opinion on this idea of a creative health city?
12: I think it is brilliant. I think you know, art is, is who we are as human beings. It's part of the human experience. It's the way in which we express ourselves. It's the way in which we form communities. And it's an integral part, I believe, of our well-being, whether you're professionally an artist or not.
0: What do you think needs to happen in order for it to manifest itself?
12: I think it would require collaboration from <laughs> from everyone, both from people in the healthcare setting, whether it's from the mental health space or just from health in general, and artists as well, and artists really thinking about how they drive the conversations around health and how they contribute to health within the community. So I think it's a collaborative effort from everyone.
10: My name is Donald Bujar and I am a master's student in Queen Mary studying creative arts and mental health.
0: Tell me what creative health means to you.
10: Expression. Definitely, definitely expression. All types of forms, whether it's sculpting, painting, colour, shape. I just feel like any sense is that sense of liberation.
13: My name is Marlo Savin, and I'm from the Albany, but I'm a part of uh, Arts Collective Sounds Like Chaos.
14: My name's Kirsty Collinder-Brown, and I'm Head of Engagement at the Albany in Deptford.
13: Uh, so at the Albany, over the last year or so, we've been working on research about mental health and in the arts, so all about looking at young people who are artists or young people who engage in the creative sector and looking at how their mental health affects them or how they might express their own mental health in their art and kind of interrogating that ideas and questions around that. I oversee the youth programme at the Albany and we
14: do a number of different projects working with young people using the creative arts and I guess we're just really kind of interested around how these projects support young people with their mental health. And we've just started delving into youth-led research to really understand what and how this work's done in light of the mental health crisis that young people are
0: facing in London. And Marlo, what does this idea of a creative health city mean to you? It means to me that we look
13: at young people and we may say, look at the different options they have to help with their mental health crises or help with... Actually, even with crises, before the crisis comes, we look at young people and we go, do you want to get involved in these creative things? Here's real opportunities that are free or paid, and you can hear to engage with the arts. It's looking at artists and saying, how can we support you to make art and be a creative in our city? It's about older people, people of any age, being able to engage with arts and examine that and be able to express themselves and all these beautiful things. I think our city is quite lacking at the moment right now is really unstable for artists in this cost-of-living crisis and opportunities are tightening and art venues and people who lead art are becoming more risk-averse and it means more artists are being left behind and more people are being left behind because they can't engage with the arts as much. So I think it's about improving you know access to arts, opportunities that are free or paid and those kind of things really help our city become or be if we look at these things and they happen will become or be a creative health city
0: and Kirsty, what do you think this declaration will do in terms of how you deliver the work how you get the funding for the work do you think becoming a creative health city would help with that
14: there's an opportunity for the arts sector, the local authorities and the NHS to start aligning the way we talk about these things and understanding collectively the work that we do with young people. We're in a crisis situation. There's not the resources to support people with their health needs at the moment. And perhaps out of this crisis comes a, an opportunity for us to work in partnership more deliberately and more constructively which means beginning to have a shared language beginning to have shared evidence bases and beginning to think about commissioning which includes the arts and the creative sectors.
15: My name's Elizabeth Lynch and today I'm here representing Creative Ageing Development and Agency. We want to advocate for people, artists and participants people who are coming to the arts later in life to have the opportunities to express themselves and develop their creative lives throughout the life course, especially as they get older. We realise that because of societal ageism, we need to advocate strongly because opportunities often decrease as you get older. We advocate for diversity and inclusion because there are extra discriminations, particularly for global majority communities as they age and as artists age. They're very well documented. There's a lot of activity around ageing and health and agencies that do that work. So we acknowledge the importance of creative health and ageing. So it's about celebrating and championing the cultural contribution of older people to wider society. What
0: do you think about this idea of a creative health city?
15: I think it's great. (laughs) Um, I think it's a rallying point and I think art and creativity touch us in the way that medicine and science and technology and maybe sport doesn't engage. It's that extra spiritual emotional bit of us that that creativity engages with and speaks to everybody. So I think if you've got creativity and health, you enable people who maybe feel well and healthy rather than unwell and not healthy to engage from the get-go. So if there comes a time when they need to think about their health more carefully, they're already engaged creatively and they understand how being creative makes them feel. How do
0: you think London being a creative health city and that being written in policy is going to help the work that you do and the organisations that you work with?
15: Well, I think what's really fantastic about a city like London, but also any city, Liverpool, Sheffield, Manchester, any of them, is that because they are big cities, they're going to attract national and international Attention from people working in the same field, people who aspire to be creative health cities, and and people who are. So you've got that bank of knowledge and um, hopefully lived experience and great examples and models of good practice. So I think that you know if you're a borough like Wandsworth, you can feed into that, but also we can draw on that collective knowledge. So I think it's about creating constellations that all inform and inspire each other so that's why it's a good thing and it's a great banner because health is one of those things that touches everybody at some point in their lives the presence of it or the absence of it and everything in between and creativity Well, I think everybody's creative, but I think creativity is something that everybody's got and either they participate or they're an audience or they read a book or a poem or listen to a piece of music on the radio and it just touches their spirit and uplifts them.
0: Here's the view from one of the event partners and the biggest funder of the arts in England and also a champion of creative health. Richard mentions ICS, which is the new integrated care system being rolled out, and PCN, which is Primary Care Network.
16: I'm Richard Ings, I'm from Arts Council England, and I'm the London area lead or champion for creative health and justice.
0: What can Arts Council do as a a national body to support the Creative Health City? And what does it look like on a practical level, both in terms of those partnerships... For you and other big institutions and also in terms of money coming down into grassroots participatory
16: work? It's at different levels. There's two things that we do as an arts council. One is funding and one is development. Uh, The one that everyone thinks of is funding and money. And so at the macro level, or the national level, if you like, we're funding the National Centre for Creative Health to support creative health associate posts in an ICS in each of the seven NHS regions. So we've got the, the wonderful Connie Rosewarne at the North East London ICS. She has the responsibility for all of London, in theory. But we've also got a, the sister post that the GLA is supporting as well. And so at that level of getting across what arts and culture can offer to the health sector, a whole range of arguments one can make there, not least the economical argument, where and I was talking to somebody from a PCN local to me in Hackney about how they would be perfectly willing to spend some of their budget that they have on the community's delivering services that they're being asked to deliver. And she said to me, it's more appropriate that it's delivered in the community, and that's by the voluntary sector, including the arts sector. So at a strategic level, we have not enough money to do all the things. So anyone that wants to do anything creative in London... So we've got to try and be as strategic as possible. And that will be working with our assets, if you like. But uh, I think investment is important. And one of the things I want to explore and have talked to, just thinking about the hospital arts sector or the secondary care sector, I've been talking to a number of them. And hopefully in the new year, I want to bring them around the table just to say, what are they all doing? How can we help? Because some of what we do, apart from the funding role, As I said, we had two roles. One is funding and one is development. So what does development mean exactly? Well, it's partly about... Partly what I've been doing today is introducing people to each other because we're in a position to do that. You know, a lot of people are ploughing their own furrow. They're very busy. A lot of our organisations, of course, are struggling to survive in the current economic climate. So I think one thing we can do, if we can't always provide the money, we can provide a space for that conversation. So... Yeah, it's a mixture of investing where we can and finding what our role is. I think we're still finding that role and I think what's been really wonderful over the last year is seeing this Creative Health City process develop through so-called design sprint conversations done on the same principle of open space and being very consultative and as fast as possible co-creating what this Creative Health City might be.
0: So this is what I've learnt. London being a creative health city will undoubtedly give more credibility and profile to the huge value that creativity brings to our health and well-being across the life course. But the health and creative sectors need to work together more and better, and the health sector needs to reconsider what the current health offer looks like and invite the creative sector in to collaborate and make changes Creativity in the arts need to be written into health policy, not just health into culture policy. Otherwise, it just remains one-sided and an uphill struggle for the cultural sector to be taken seriously within health. Culture and the arts need parity of esteem within health policy, alongside eating well and being physically active. There needs to be a shared understanding that art is care. More of the funding needs to move into prevention so that we can have a health and well-being service and not just a sickness service. Everyone agrees that creativity and culture are fundamental to being human. There is consensus on the huge value and power of the arts on health and well-being broadly and very specifically. It's backed up by evidence and there's much work going on in academia about the subject, that this isn't translated into policy, funding, access, equity, opportunity. So we need to understand what are the blockages, because it's not just a lack of public funding. I think there's an inherent fear in public spending on the arts, maybe fear of the general public's perception of it or fear of the media's reactions. And this fear leads to stasis It is difficult in times of austerity and a cost of living crisis to make the case for investment in the arts. But this isn't just about funding major galleries and museums. It's about the fundamental work that goes on at grassroots level in communities and the broader value of the arts to society, the economy and health. These are all interdependent. There needs to be a long-term commitment to funding and a formal inclusion of the arts within the new integrated care systems. There needs to be a willingness to innovate and make change. But change doesn't happen without risk. London has what's been described in these interviews as a patchwork quilt or a constellation of both opportunities and challenges. It has vast amounts of creative talent. It has world-class health teaching and cultural institutions, but it also has vast amounts of inequality, inequity, poverty, health issues. So like Manchester and other city regions, London can and should be leading the way in bringing these worlds together, innovating and taking calculated risks and new approaches to make change. This episode has been supported by London Arts and Health, the Mayor of London and Arts Council England. Thank you to everyone involved in those organisations who made the event and this podcast episode possible. And a huge thank you to all the people who gave me their time, their wisdom, their ideas and shared their work with me to make this podcast happen. If you'd like to make a podcast for your event or organisation, please get in touch. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please rate, review and subscribe. Follow the show on Instagram at creative health Pod and via the website creative-health.co.uk. This episode was edited by Penny Bell.